Hello, hello, hello. Okay, everybody, grab your seat. I was surprised to not see anybody kind of running around the room to generate uh, body heat. It's um, the radiators out in the corridor are like fire, but the ones in here aren't working. So uh, go figure. Anyway, we're warm in our love for one another and for the Lord. How about? Well, Matthew 25, if you have your Bibles, you remember last week, if you were here, we, we thought about, we introduced this idea of plotting and planning, of plotting where we are right now with the Lord. And we thought in terms of what Jesus said in Matthew 7 about two roads, right? And remember, we said that all roads lead somewhere. Every road has a destination. And so we encourage you to think about, okay, where you are. Now, Jesus gave us two options, right? He, he gave a wide road, which led to destruction. And Jesus used that term destruction uh, eschatologically. He used it about ultimate, end-time destruction, judgment. And then he talked about a narrow road that led to life. And his admonishment, his encouragement to us, his exhortation, was to enter the gate onto that narrow road that led to life. And so we encourage you uh, at the end of the year to, uh, to plot where you are, which road are you on, and then to plan. And we thought about next steps. Okay, what is our next step? What is the, the next thing that Jesus is calling us to do as we walk that road towards him? And we had these little pieces of paper. We still have more over there. So don't give up on that idea. Think about what is the next thing that Jesus is calling me to do? And listen, uh, this is important. This is, it, it's different than a resolution, right? Everybody kind of sets resolutions at the beginning of the year. Resolutions kind of have a, a, a year-long thing. Like, okay, I'm going to lose 20 pounds this year, right? And then what happens? You, you, you have a, an extra go of dessert the first week of January, and you think, well, that's it. It's over, and you're done. What I would encourage you to think about, though, is next steps. Every journey happens one step at a time, right? So let's take smaller bites. And let's think about when we wake up in the morning, what is Jesus asking of me today? What, what is he asking of me right now? What is he calling me to do next? Because here's the thing. There's a cumulative impact. When we think about incremental change and incremental steps to the Lord, we look back and we see that there's a cumulative effect of that incremental change. And that's what we want. So every moment of every day, we're thinking, okay, what is Jesus calling me to do next? Not necessarily what's he calling me to do in 20 years time or in 50 years time. But what is he calling me to do next? Because I want to be faithful in that. And having been faithful in that, then I say, okay, well, what do you want me to do now? And I want to be faithful in that. Do you see? So let's think about next steps this year. And as we continue to do that, uh, we, we're going to think a, a little more, at a little more higher level uh, this week. Uh, because, now, I know this doesn't apply to anybody in the room here, right? You, you, 
most of you, all of you in the room, let's say, uh, none of you struggle with procrastination. But maybe you have heard of someone who procrastinates, who says, you know what, I know that this is coming down the road. And I know that I should do something, that I should start, that I should uh, invest that time now. But I'm going to do something else. That procrastinating. We, we, you know, you think about uh, if you're a university student, uh, student and your exams. You know your exams are coming, right? And, and you know that you should study. Uh, and yet there is something else that diverts your attention from that. Or a big deadline at work. And you know it's coming. And yet it, your attention is diverted. Uh, and eventually that deadline sneaks up on you. Uh, see, it's easy for us to get focused on what is right in front of us. And it could be, uh, it could be a, a distraction. Uh, it could be something else. But it's easy for us to get focused on what is right here in front of us and what is going on around us. To the point that we forget about what's coming. That we forget it to the point of neglecting uh, what is coming. Now, when we think about that spiritually, sometimes people neglect what is coming in the future uh, out of laziness. They don't want to think about it. Some people neglect it out of hubris. They don't think they need to think about it. But oftentimes, we just get distracted by what's going on in our everyday lives around us. And so as we think about what is Jesus calling us to do, we want to look at this parable where Jesus tells us what he wants us to do as we think about an extended picture of what is coming in the future. So this parable in Matthew 25, it falls in with four parables that Jesus gives in what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's a discourse that Jesus gives uh, in Matthew where he talks about the end of time and the end of all things. And here he gives four parables from the end of chapter 24 through chapter 25. And this second parable in verses 1 to 13 is similar to the one that comes at the end of chapter 24, uh, where Jesus uh, assures us through the parable that he will return at a time when we won't necessarily expect it. But in this parable, in chapter 25, Jesus adds a twist. He adds to that idea of his certain unexpected coming the idea of delay. So while he's coming, in chapter 25, he's going to say that he might delay his coming. And the question that we're left with, and the question we're left to reflect upon is, okay, what do we do as God's people if his coming is delayed? And in case you've been asleep, uh, his coming has been delayed, hasn't it? Some 2,000 years (laughs) And we don't know when. It could be delayed even longer. So what do we do as God's people while we wait for Jesus' certain return amidst the delay that we experience? How do we wait well as followers of Jesus for his delayed return? 
Well, I want to tell you this story and explore this subject of delay and how we wait well in the midst of that delay as we think about what it means to wait well for the return of our King. So let's pray, and then we'll look at this, uh, this, these verses together. Father, we need your help as we think about this. I pray, Father, that uh, your Spirit would speak through your Word in us to challenge us and to encourage faithfulness in us. So help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So through this parable, Jesus is going to instruct his disciples about how we wait well for his return. Now first, let's consider the setting. Look in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So Jesus begins and he, uh, he connects what he's saying in these verses, in this parable, with what he has previously said about his return, his certain return. Uh, so then connects those things. He's thinking about the consummation of the kingdom, the, 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 the fullness of the return of the kingdom, which is precipitated by his return. When he returns, the fullness of the kingdom returns with him. And so the, the, the specific timing is unimportant at this point. It's unimportant for us to consider today. But it's going to hinge on the events that Jesus describes earlier in chapter 25. So, so these are connected, these ideas, uh, in terms of the return of the king. And so we see in this parable, we see ten uh, ten virgins. These are young ladies. Now, we might think of them today as bridesmaids. Uh, these are, are ladies who would accompany the bride uh, at a wedding. And the number 10 is unimportant. It's just a, a round number. But there's 10 of these young ladies in the parable. And they are carrying with them lamps. Now, this is probably torches, right? If you've uh, I remember thinking, uh, if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, you've got a stick with a cloth at the top and you put the oil on it and you light it. And these are lamps or, or torches because some of this, uh, these events would take place uh, in the dark. And so they needed that. Either way, uh, the, whether they're lamps uh, or lanterns or torches, uh, again, these processions would take place oftentimes uh, at night in the dark, and so they needed light in order to see. And then in verse 1, uh, you see uh, they took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom. So the bridegroom plays a central role in this story. Okay, sorry ladies, uh, first century weddings centered on the groom. All right, now that's foreign to us uh, in the Western world and, and some other cultures as well. Where the, the wedding event centers on the bride, uh, the groom is just a warm body, right? Anybody, anybody will do. Uh, but here, the wedding ceremony, the marriage ceremony, centered on the bridegroom. He takes center stage. And these ancient weddings took a long time. So the, the, the way it would work is the groom and his friends would go to the house of the, the bride's family in order to work out a price for the hand of the bride in marriage. And after that, there would be a ceremony 
uh, there in that place where they would be married. And then there would be a procession that would go from her family's home through, you know, through the village, the countryside to his home. And that's where there would be a celebration that might last for up to a week. I mean, it was a big party uh, that took place. Now, maybe that's Maybe some of those uh, aspects are similar in some of your cultures, but that was the way it was done uh, in this particular culture. So these ladies uh, that Jesus speaks about are waiting for those events to take place, and they're waiting for the procession in order to join in the procession to the house of the groom in order to celebrate the marriage that's taken place, okay? That makes sense? Everybody, everybody understand the, the, the first century Jewish wedding? <laughs> there you go. Amaze your friends. Uh, think about the impressive uh, things you'll be able to spout out. Well, then we see in verses 2 through 5, the story develops. So five of the bridesmaids in verse 2 are described as foolish, and five of them are wise. Now, in verses 3 and 4, what makes them wise and foolish is their level of preparedness for the groom's arrival. Look in verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now think about what this means, okay? So they, they, they could, let's say they, they have a little cloth at the top. They could burn the cloth, but once that goes out, they have nothing then to sustain the burning uh, of the, the torch, right? So there's not uh, a sufficient amount of oil should the groom be delayed. They're not prepared. And that is what makes them Foolish. Now, so think about it. Uh, if you were to go out, say, on a day like today, and you were to think, I'm just running to the shop. I don't need my coat. And so you didn't take your coat because you didn't think you would need it, and something happened. Your, your car malfunctioned, or you, you, you got lost, or, 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 or whatnot. What are you thinking? Oh, man, I should have brought my coat. I'm not prepared right? Whereas the prepared person would say, you know what, I may not need my coat, but I'm going to take it with me just in case. Do you see, that's what's going on with the oil. The wise are saying, okay, look, I may not need this, uh, these extra flasks of oil, but I'm going to take them anyway. And the foolish didn't do that. Now, verse 5, this is where the twist comes in. This is the turning point in the story. Look at verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed. That's the twist in the story. The bridegroom is delayed. Something unexpected happens. You know, part of this process, the bridegroom had to bring gifts for the, the family of the bride. Or, or maybe they were having a, a heated discussion about the amount of money that should be paid for the hand of the bride in marriage. Uh, we don't know, but this is why the wise are called wise, because they were prepared in the event the groom was delayed. And sure enough, he was delayed. He was delayed. And so naturally, these ladies got sleepy, 
right? I mean, that, they're not wise and foolish because they're sleepy. They're all sleepy. They all sleep. Again, this is a matter of preparedness, that they are not, the foolish are not prepared for the delay. In verse 6, at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet them. Now, interestingly enough, the, any reference that you see uh, to midnight is most often a reference to judgment. This is how judgment is described uh, in the scriptures, the idea of midnight, uh, the time has come. And so at midnight, the cry goes out that the bridegroom is coming. He could still be delayed, but now he's almost here. So if you think about it, if you've ever been to a parade and you're there in your spot and the, the parade has not passed you, but you can hear the noise down the road, maybe around the corner, and you know, okay, the parade is coming. This is what happens. The bridegroom's presence, the, 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 the murmur begins to go through the crowd. The bridegroom is coming, and he's almost here. And what happens then? Well, in verses 7 to 8, they, they get their lamps ready. Then all those virgins, all the young ladies rose. They trimmed their lamps. But the foolish had run out of oil. And so they turn to the wise uh, and say, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. The wise tell the foolish that they cannot help them. Now, th th this, is really, this is really important. I don't want us to get sidetracked. Because it would be easy for us to think, well, aren't those wise young ladies being a little cruel? Why couldn't they just share their oil with these foolish young ladies? And we shouldn't think that. Now, here's why we shouldn't think that. Because that is not Jesus' point in the parable. So, listen, don't, don't miss this. The point of the parable is about personal preparedness. So the point is not that the wise bridesmaids were mean and should have shared, so share your stuff with people around you. That's not the point. The point is the responsibility of all people to be prepared, and that responsibility cannot be shared. I cannot be prepared for the coming of the king for you. And you cannot be prepared for the coming of the king for someone else. The point of the parable is personal preparedness. You better be ready for the coming of the king. Because no one can be ready for you. Do you see? That's the point here. It isn't that the wise should have shared. The wise still don't know how long, how much longer the bridegroom is going to be delayed. The point is that personal preparedness can't be shared. Okay? So each of us must be personally prepared. Now we'll come back to that in a moment. But look at verses 10 to 12. This is the unhappy result. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And isn't that always the way it happens? You're in the cinema, at the film, 
and you've had too much Coke. And you think, I got to go. But then you go and you miss the most important part of the film. The height of the tension gets resolved while you're gone and you missed it. And as the foolish go to buy their oil, the bridegroom comes and the procession passes them by and they miss it. And as if that were not bad enough, look at what happens. Those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. What a terrible thing to miss the bridegroom, because the door is shut, and that's it. Some are shut out, Jesus implies here in verses 11 and 12. He expresses a similar point back in verse 13. Sorry, sorry, in uh, chapter 24, verse 42, where he says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And then later in verse 44, You must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So see, clearly in this parable, Jesus is positioning himself as the bridegroom. And his return is not something that you want to miss. And so in the same way, in verse 13, he says, Watch, therefore, For you know neither the day nor the hour. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is even if he delays, his return is certain. He will return. And there is but a finite amount of time to get ready and to prepare yourself. So let's unpack this a a, a little bit. You know, it's easy for us to get caught in the here and the now with everything going on around us so much that we forget about our Lord's return and what that means for us. Remember, what this parable says to us is though he may delay, he will return. There is something beyond this life for which we are to be prepared. Now, we don't like to talk about death and judgment, do we? Uh, It's probably in that list of of things that you don't talk about at a dinner party uh, with politics uh, and religion generally, right? We don't talk about death and, and judgment a lot, but we can't ignore what we see in the scriptures. And that is that Jesus will come again. And that event will have implications. And if his return uh, tarries further, we will eventually die, right? In spite of all of our medical advances, death still has a 100% success rate. So if Jesus tarries, we will die. And we don't know 
when. And the choices that we make today impact tomorrow. So that if we ignore it, uh, if we ignore the conversation, we do that to our own peril and our own risk. Remember from last week, all roads lead to a destination. And so we must be prepared no matter the delay because there is a life beyond this one. We must be prepared. So the reality of our future must impact our present. It must impact what we do and how we think about today. Remember, these ladies were not foolish because they slept. All ten of them slept. They were foolish because they gave no thought to the future. That They knew it would be dark soon. But that uh, reality did not shape their present. And they suffered for it. So what does Jesus say? In verse 13, this is the imperative. He says, watch. Therefore, be alert, watch, because you know neither the day nor the hour. So what does watch mean? What does it mean for us to be prepared? Now, does it mean that we don't sleep, that we stand by the window and we look out the window 24-7, 365? What does it mean for us when Jesus says to watch? How do we wait well? As followers of Jesus. Well, I'd suggest that we wait well by living each day in the shadow of eternity. So every day we live in the present, we live it in the light of what is to come. The reality of our coming King. Jesus says, when Jesus says, watch here. It's a call for us to be watchful over our lives. Because if the end is coming, we live our life with that in mind. And that impacts the decisions we make. It impacts the turns that we take in the road. All of that becomes shaped by the reality of eternity. Jonathan Edwards, the old theologian made a series of, of resolutions and he says he said one of them he said resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life and see that perspective of uh, of allowing the future and the reality of the future to shape the decisions I make in the present is what Jesus calls us to in watching and being watchful over our lives so Preparedness, then, is about faithfulness. Living in the shadow of the future, using our time here to be faithful uh, in doing what He has called us to do. Being what He's called us to be. Now, of course, part of watchfulness and preparedness uh, involves uh, us making the decision to trust in Jesus for salvation. To turn to him in faith 
uh, and embrace what Dara talked about earlier, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Certainly that's critical. But then every day we wake up and in the reality that he could come today, our present becomes shaped. Our perspective gets changed and we live our lives accordingly, being faithful to what he's called us to do. Waiting well demands that we remember where we are headed on this road to Jesus. That we remember that and we live our life in the present in light of that reality. We've been thinking about Abraham, and we see this in Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, in verses 8 to 10. We see that Abraham did this. He allowed the future to shape what he did in the present. By faith, the text says, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that was an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Why? Verse 10, because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. See, the reality of Abraham's future and his faith in that future shaped his faithfulness in the present. And that's what it means to be watchful, to be prepared, to be faithful. And listen, this is the example that Jesus gave us. In Hebrews 12, we see the ver that very thing. Uh, in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. See, the reality of Jesus' future shaped his present decision to be obedient to the Father in going to the cross. See, preparedness involves faithfulness, that we allow the reality of eternity to shape what we do in the present. So since we have to wait on this journey, since that, that road uh, to Jesus is long, let's not be distracted. See, the call here is to live every moment in the light of this certain future, Christ's return. And this is why next steps matter, because every day we wake up Ready to be watchful, ready to be faithful to whatever the Lord might be calling us to do. Our attention and our focus is on the line that lasts forever, over and above just the dot of our present reality. Just as we think about that, and I, as I close, uh, I have a rope here. Wyatt, grab the end of that rope. So if this rope represents the, 
uh, line of eternity, right? And we stretch it out all the way across the room. And this red bit here at this end, this is, this is the beginning of time, creation. And the rope extends into eternity far past the wall. As far as we can see, it never ends. Now, I have a little pen here. And let's say this pen represents your life. Just a little yellow pen. Now, look at the rope of eternity. And let's say your life is right there. All of your hopes, all of your dreams, uh, all of your hurts, uh, all of your uh, desires that people would like you, uh, all, all of your relationships, all of that is right here in this little pen, which maybe represents 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 years of your life. And it's right here. Now, what is more important? This little pen or the line of eternity? Five billion years, a trillion years, infinite eternity. See, being watchful and being prepared is about focusing on that and trusting Him in the present with this. Do you see? So Jesus calls, thank you, Wyatt. Jesus calls us here in this passage to be watchful because He is coming. He is coming. So every day we wake up and we say, okay, in light of the certain return of my King, what does he want me what does he want from me today? How can I follow him more faithfully today? Let's pray. Father, would you give us the strength? Would you give us the faith, Father, to be faithful to what you've called us to do? Father, I know that there are, are people here today that there are people listening that may not be prepared. And the reality is, Father, that Jesus could return today. And they would be like these foolish young ladies who will miss out. And so, Father, I pray that in your mercy, that you would open their hearts to see their situation. And to place their trust in the only one who can save them. And that's Jesus. And Father, for those that are followers of Jesus on this journey to Him, God, would you give us the perspective that would cause us to live in the present in the shadow of eternity. To live, Father, for the line of eternity and not just the, the moment that we find ourselves in. Help us, Father, to be watchful, to be faithful. Because we know that, you are gonna, that, uh, that, that Jesus is going to return. We thank you. 
In his name we pray. Amen.